All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got former NFL safety and Super Bowl champion. We've got Sean Considine. Sean, is everything going for you? Doing good, Zach. Just living a small town life now back in Byron, Illinois, raising five kids and uh, you know, having a lot of fun trying to survive the coronavirus. What's it like raising five kids during a pandemic? Terrible. Thanks for asking. Uh, now we, have, we have triplets that are nine years old and uh, good luck trying to keep these kids cooped up in a house and, you know, not being able to do a lot of the activities that we're used to doing. It's, you know, we're making the best of it. We, we're very fortunate. We have, we live on 40 acres and I oh, actually cool. just, just got done building a big pond out in front of my house and we stocked it with rainbow trout. And so we do a lot of stuff outdoors, like to do a little hunting and fishing and had a lot more time to spend with each other, which in my opinion is not a bad thing, but these kids, you know, they, they miss their classmates and all the stuff that they would have been doing, you know, without the coronavirus going on. So interesting times, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully we're on the back end of this and we can sort of get back to normal as soon as possible because this year has been been wild. So I want to talk about your high school career for a little bit, because I saw in a recent interview you did, you said that you didn't think you were going to play college football. Yeah, you know, Byron, Illinois is, you know, we got maybe 5,000 people in this town. That's counting, you know, all the farmers from the, the countryside around here. And it's a, it's a rural community in Illinois. Great place to raise a family, but, you know, not like a football powerhouse by any means. But we did have a great football program, high school football program for our classification here in Illinois. And we had an incredible high school coach, uh, Hall of Famer Everett Stein, one of my mentors to this day. But, uh, you know, it's just not an area where a lot of kids get recruited and, you know, you, you can do pretty good at our level. And oftentimes, you know, you're not as good as you think. I mean, you, you're we're not playing the biggest, strongest kids there are. So, you know, I had a nice high school career, but I wasn't really sure where I fit in. The recruiting process was a little bit tough. My dad was actually a, a scholarship player at Northern Illinois University. That's about cool. 35 miles from Byron. They recruited me pretty hard. His his position coach while he was there was Joe Novak, and he happened to be the head coach at Northern when I was coming through high school. And I went to their camps and got MVP and all that type of stuff. But, you know, I was still probably looked at like a tweener. You know, I was a linebacker on defense and a, and a running back on offense. And I had a nice high school career. We went 14-0 and my senior year and won a state title. And had about the time of my life playing you know ball with my best friend since you know that I had known since we were little kids we had a lot of fun but you know there wasn't like a bunch of programs beating down the doors for me and I, I tell you besides northern I hardly got recruited by anybody let alone like Illinois State Eastern Illinois none of the division one double A's really none of the division twos really you know we did I don't know if we were small and didn't really know what we were doing, but, you know, we just assumed that people would, would find you if you were talented enough. And, you know, I don't know if we kind of dropped the ball there or not, but I, I did a lot of camps and stuff like yeah. that. But I just, you know, I was a, a six foot, 175 pound running back. And, yeah. and I think there was a lot of guys that probably looked like me. And, and you know, I pretty much knew I'd play defense in college, you know, I was like a, a prototypical safety, you know, not, not undersized for a safety with my height, but um, I wanted to play offense in, in college. And so I don't know if that put some people off or, or not, but I was a good high school baseball player too. And I love, love baseball. And, you know, so things didn't quite go my way in the recruiting process. Um, like I would have thought. So I, I kind of, for a time period thought maybe I'd just try to play college baseball and, 
that recruiting cycle and process was very similar to football. It wasn't like a lot of teams were, you know, calling and saying, oh, yeah, we want you. And so late in the process, I went on a very, very late recruiting visit up at the University of Iowa, right when Kirk Ferentz was kind of – he had been there one year, but they were they were rebuilding that program from the ground up, and they were they, – they hadn't had a very good recruiting class, and they were looking for walk-on types. And I, I didn't go out there until, like, the end of March. And I was, you know, they offered me a preferred walk-on spot, which meant I would have a spot in training camp the following year. And I met Phil Parker on that visit and he was very open and honest with me. He's now the defense coordinator at Iowa, Iowa one of the best coaches in, in the country, but uh, those guys are just straight shooters. And they said, you know, we're going to make you no promises, but if you come out here and work hard and, and do the things that, you know, we ask you to do, you'll get your shot. And that's all I could ask for. And the rest is kind of history. It's crazy. That's awesome. Since so, so as a walk on, did you, when did you kind of feel like you didn't have to look over your shoulder anymore? Like, all right, I got the spot. Never. I mean, shoot, when I got drafted by the Eagles, I mean, I, I still had that same uneasy feeling like I had to be the first one there, last one to leave it. And, you know, to be honest with you, pretty much every level I played at besides high school, you know, I was I'm not, you know, going to say that I, football was easy to me at the high school level, but, you know. I saw an article that said you're the greatest football player in your town's history. So that's very humble. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I grew up watching a guy named Adam Dock. He scored like 48 touchdowns his senior year. And he, he went to Northern Illinois as a running back from our high school and uh, set all the records at Northern. You know, an unbelievable physical athlete at the high school level. I was, I just wasn't physically mature, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, I had to go and develop and it's kind of what I did at the university of Iowa, but, but in, at the high school level, you know, it just seemed like when we needed a play, you know, you, you ran a toss sweep and somehow you turned, turned it into a 75 yard touchdown, you yeah. know, just don't, don't ask me how, I'm not saying I was the greatest player you ever seen, but then when you go to Iowa and then, you know, in the NFL is a whole nother deal. It, it's just a completely different level. It's a, completely different group of athletes and you know I just kind of always got into that mindset where I always felt a little uneasy about my position on the team that I I just had this like anxiety that I had to put more time in study more film spend more time in the weight room and you know I really never lost that feeling or that drive until the day I was done playing football and I pretty much knew my career was coming to an end that was you know, 32 years old playing for the Ravens and, you know, thankfully had a great relationship with John Harbaugh and it was, it was a good way to go out. Yeah. So I have a question. So at Iowa, what point did somebody say to you, like, Hey, you have a legit shot at playing in the NFL? Um, I remember Kirk Ferentz told my uh, parents, I think it was at my junior at the junior uh, banquet at the end of the year, uh, the awards banquet and all the families come into town and coach Ferentz shook my parents hand and, you know, told them that very thankful that I, you know, found Iowa and Iowa found me and yeah. uh, told my dad that he thought I'd play a long time in the NFL. And, it, you know, my dad is like one of the biggest football fans that you've ever met. And he just loves the green Bay Packers, loves high school football, played football himself. And I think when Kirk Ferentz, coach Ferentz told my dad that I think it really, you know, even at that point, I, I don't think I, – I didn't think it was realistic that I played in that. But I was a walk-on when I went to Iowa. My junior year, I earned the starting job and had had a really nice season. But it was – you know, I kind of thought maybe that, that was about as good as it was, was going to get. 
Yeah. But I, you know, um, I didn't keep. You know, I kept on pushing ahead, and um, the Eagles drafted me the following year, and awesome. it just kind of snowballed. You know, when I when I went to training camp, I think that first week I was at Philadelphia, I called my parents. And I'm like, man, if I make it one week in this league, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I mean, these guys are these guys are next level, and you know, playing getting to meet and be around a guy like Brian Dawkins. What, yeah. what an experience. I have a question. What was your, what was your, um, your draft night like? Draft night was uh, actually, it was kind of nuts. I, I would, re- if anybody ever gets drafted, I would recommend not doing what I did. So, you know, I had all my high school, high school buddies, obviously in town, we came back to Byron, this little town here, 5,000 people was just buzzing thinking that I was going to get drafted. You know, I was projected in the third and third or fourth round. And back then the, th- the first three rounds were on day one and four through seven were on day two. And so we set up a big party at the local bar with food and drink at Saturday night, you know, let's go have a good time. And Chad Greenway and all my college uh, roommates and teammates came out from the university of Iowa and everybody, it was, we had a great time. We golfed that day. It was actually fairly warm in the Midwest. We had, we, we had a lot of fun, but didn't really think about, well, what if you, don't get drafted in the third round and actually get drafted the first pick of the fourth round, which happens to be the next morning. So that was kind of a, yeah, I still had a good time. And like I said, you know, it wasn't my, you know, I I didn't have all these expectations of being a first rounder and all that type of stuff. And so, but I would highly recommend just set your draft party on Sunday night when the draft's over, because if it doesn't work out the way you're thinking, at least you're not feeling bad on Saturday night. So I have a question. So that's something I kind of to get it. So I saw you were in the same draft as Trent Cole. I actually interviewed Trent a couple months ago. I saw you're a hunter. I know he's a hunter. Do you have any good Trent Cole hunting stories with him? Oh, we we did a lot together when we played together at Philadelphia. And I actually was just texting him. Uh, we have a little family farm not far from where, where we're living here in Illinois. And all my boys are getting into the outdoors and we've had an incredible deer season this year. So I was sharing a lot of the pictures of what our success we've had out in the the woods this year with Trent on Twitter. And he was sending me pictures of a deer that, and I think he actually shot this deer like while we were talking, you know, he's, he's on Twitter and text messaging. He's a hunting fool. He always has been, I mean, just an incredible athlete. You know, I always respected Trent because, I mean, his motor, his, yeah. his drive, when, yeah. when they when the ball was snapped, I mean, he didn't stop until he heard a whistle. And sometimes maybe a little bit after that, just he had a, a great career. You know, I, I don't talk to him as much as obviously I'd like to, but yeah. he's doing his thing. We keep in touch every now and then. Yeah. You know, when we do see each other, it's like we never, you know, missed any time. But great guy, great outdoorsman. Yeah, because I remember when I was asking him about, like, where did you hunt when you got to Philly? He said, you can go anywhere. And he said, like, he said, I think he said he went to, like, around Jersey, and he was he just had a ball. He, and I know he was talking about how a lot of times he'd kind of show up, like, right at the time you guys were supposed to get to morning practice, and he'd be switching all his gear out and putting and putting cleats on, that kind of thing. I thought that was incredible. That's yeah, he was even probably pushing the limits on, you know, putting a lot of time into the woods and hunting. But, yeah. South Jersey has incredible outdoor opportunities, not only deer, but turkey hunting. I mean, I I had a lot of friends that would come out from the Midwest while I was playing out there for Philadelphia, and we'd do turkey hunting in the spring. And, I mean, we had one day, I think we got five turkeys in like two hours. And, oh, wow. you know, we had tags for them all. It was, on, it was just incredible. There's just a lot of great hunting opportunities in South Jersey. Yeah. So I have a question. So the Eagles fans can sometimes be eccentric. 
to put it lightly, do you ever, have, you ever, have you ever had any interesting experiences while with the Eagles or before or after with an Eagles fan or anything interesting? Yeah, I got a pretty good story. I think it's kind of funny. I mean, that's an understatement. The Eagles fans are tough. I mean, I played at the University of Iowa. Where, I mean, those people out there are the nicest people you ever met. I mean, Iowa could stink, and they'd shake your hands and want your autograph and tell you how great you were. And, um, you know, I'm a pretty tough guy, though, and, you know, I don't focus on that type of stuff. I don't. I learned really quickly not to listen to sports talk radio and, you know, some of the guys that were former players that were in the media, they weren't my friend. And I'm fine with that. It's just the way it is. I mean, I get it. Everybody's got to go earn a living. And, you know, you guys got a lot of pressure to talk about the things you talk about and judge. And I get it. Uh, but my father-in-law is like a, a cowboy. I mean, he is from a cattle farm in, in central Illinois, raises like 500 head of cattle, corn, soybeans. He, he is not a big city guy at all. Uh, my wife gave him a hard time about, ne you know, never coming to any of my games. And so he jumped on an airplane, which was a big deal for him, and flew out to the Bears-Eagles uh, game, you know, because we're from Illinois, and he's kind of a, he, not really a Bears fan, but he's going to come to that game. Well, I actually had a really good game going for me, and I scooped up a, a fumble by Cedric Benson late in the game and ran it down to like the one yard line that was going to seal the game. Well, there was some weird rule back then that the ball was snapped. I don't know if you remember that game, the ball was snapped and never touched the quarterback. And so they reset the, the play bears got the ball back. Well, they ended up going down and scoring with not much time left. Well, the guy that caught the ball was Moosed Muhammad and he pretty much yeah. caught it right over my back to win to win the game. Well, my father-in-law had a Considine jersey on, you know, watching the game. And, of course, that play happens at the end of the game. And he was just getting his butt ripped by all these Eagles fans and telling them how terrible, you know, I was and da-da-da-da-da. So my, my mother-in-law likes to tell a story. He, he couldn't take it anymore. He finally took the jersey off and put it in his back pocket. So I, I, I give him a hard time about that. Well, that's – you know, that's the Eagles fans. They, they love you, but they, they're going to get on you if they have to. So that, that's okay. I get it. You know, I, I respect, you know, different fan bases. We had a great time out in Philadelphia, uh, just getting a chance to be around the guys that were in the locker room at that time. And Andy Reid and Sean McDermott, who I keep in touch with still to this day. John Harbaugh. I mean, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah. So what, what was it like just learning from Brian Dawkins? Yeah, you know, I was really fortunate to come in as a rookie under a guy like that. You know, as great of a player as he was, I, you know, I think I learned about as much about life and, you know, how to handle yourself in the locker room and how to be a true professional and a pro and a man of faith and, and all that type of stuff. You know, I, uh, Brian just had a way about him of not only, you know, you know, being a leader on the football field, but be, being a leader in the locker room, you know, he was really big on treating, you know, the rookies with respect, you know, they're, they're one of us and, you know, no, no hazing, you know, heckling the players, a little bit of that goes on in cer at certain programs, but not the Philadelphia Eagles, not with guys like Harbaugh and Andy Reid and Brian Dawkins, you know, we had a, a really incredible locker room at that time. And that was when T.O. was in there that year, that was his last year there. And so just to kind of see the guys, have to deal with that, that, you know, the, the dynamics of that going on at the same yeah. time, you know, I got, I got an eyeful and an earful as a rookie with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's for sure. Which NFC East team did you look forward to playing the most? Um, you know, I, I kind of, I grew up a Packers fan. And so I kind of always had the, you know, 
admiration or watching the Cowboys. I've heard a lot about them. Packers, Cowboys seem to play every year, had a, had a good rivalry. Um, but, you know, at that time, New York was, you know, a strong program and they had Brandon Jacobs as a running back and, uh, you know, always a big challenge, a, a, yeah. a big running game, a, a good quarterback, Eli Manning, young player. And, yeah. you know, I kind of like those little short trips up to the Meadowlands and, and you know, a quick rivalry game with somebody like the Giants. Yeah. Uh, the, the NFC East is just, I mean, you can name them all. You go down to Washington, it's just yeah. like, it's a little bit different than the other football conferences. Like, you know, I played two years in Jacksonville. It was kind of like, well, who's our rival? The Colts. And it wasn't like every one of them, you know, the NFC East, those are all rivals. It's just such a storied conference yeah. and great historic uh, football teams. It's, it's kind of, it was a lot of fun. What have been your thoughts on the division this year? You know, I, I, I'm really shocked. I mean, it just seems like the division's really struggled. But, but with that said, they had a couple of big wins over yeah. the weekend. You know, yeah. I, I'm right back to rooting for my Green Bay Packers. I that's the one thing. You know, I don't know if I'm the the same as a lot of other NFL players or not. But I grew up a Packer fan. Um, when when I played for the Eagles and the other teams, I mean, I love those uh, franchises and I love my time there and I'm loyal to them. And, you know, if they ever need anything for me, I'd love to get back to it. But, but I'm a fan of the green Bay Packers. That's just, it was in my blood and I'm right back to that. But, you know, I, I do follow the Eagles uh, quite a bit, have a lot of people around here that just assume I'm a diehard Eagles guy still to this day, because I played there the longest, um, you know, kind of interesting. It's, it, it's fun to, watch a program you know that's what three years removed for super super bowl and yeah. you know same co head coach uh same quarterback no you know, they I, just they just benched him today for hurts yeah, I, I i know i saw that they just played my Packers not too long ago and you know just to watch yeah um how quickly the momentum and the mentality and the confidence even at that level was with people that talented how that can change from year to year or um, go away completely. And, you know, I, I, I kind of feel for Carson Wentz and, and what he's going through and, you know, the position that Doug Peterson's been put in now to have to make a decision, uh, the contract uh, implications that are going on with that, that whole decision. You know, I don't think anybody feels good about what's happening. And, and, and I don't think it's at all about, you know, he needs to try harder. He needs to put more in, more effort in, you know, I, I think that's all going on. He's just not playing up to the caliber that he needs to. And, you know, I think the decision was made for him. You know, yeah. it was Doug Peterson had to make the decision. And now you got a young guy. Obviously, the, the Eagles were, you know, I'm not saying moving on, but they they, yeah. they drafted a guy in the second round for a reason. And, you know, I think it's going to be his opportunity moving forward. What, what do you think the, the – are you, are you surprised with Wentz's kind of like 180? Do you think – I keep thinking it's the back – the back issue he had a couple years ago. I heard somebody else say maybe it was him watching Foles win a Super Bowl. I've also heard the decimated offensive line and receivers. What do you think it is with him that's making him kind of like not play that well this year? I don't know. It's really strange. I mean, yeah. typically uh, the, the one thing that I found out, you know, after playing eight years in the NFL and you know, all those years at Iowa or high school is you start picking up experience and learning uh short it's not even shortcuts it's just the things that you had to think about as a young player you start doing naturally you don't even have to think about it I mean you watch like a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers at his age 37 years old and 
his ability to get rid of the ball when he has to, to not take hits, to make good decisions. I mean, he's only, you know, there's been a lot of other quarterbacks that have done the same thing. And a lot of other position players do the same thing. Um, you know, when I was at Baltimore, I got to rejoin one of my former teammates at Iowa, Marshall Yanda, and he was really slowing down in his old age, but he, he was just an all pro. He was incredible at his craft. He had gotten so efficient and so good at his steps and what he did. And it, it just over time, he built up to a the best, you know, guard in the yeah. NFL. And yeah. typically that's what happens, especially, you know, I don't think Carson Wentz is not a, you know, smart, uh, yeah. coachable, probably putting the time in type of guy. This looks like, you know, for whatever reason, he has not taken the next step and the experience is not benefiting him like it typically does with guys that are as talented as he is. So I, I don't know what the disconnect is there, but. It's kind of surprising. You don't see it often with guys that were at such a high level for them to kind of regress. And it almost kind of seems mental, you know, issues or not making the right decisions. You know, he should be, you know, getting better in those areas. He's, he's not. It's interesting. So I want to talk about your time in Baltimore. So how I I saw that you were kind of out of football and then who called you? Yeah. Coach Harbaugh, you know, I'd, I'd always, I'd get like a text from him about once a year and, uh, you know, my seventh year of the NFL was was the NFL lockout. Uh, um, it was a bad, I was a free agent coming out of uh, Jacksonville after year six. Uh, the NFL lockout hit. You know, I wasn't like at that point. I was probably a borderline starter at best. You know, come in and compete for a job and and push somebody for a starting job. But then I had really kind of entrenched myself as one of the better special teams players maybe around the league, but. Um, thankfully I'm not playing still because, you know, special teams is not what it used to be. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be able to build an eight year NFL career, you know, being a, a kickoff coverage ace or a punt punt cover guy and all that type of stuff. And that's another story for another day. But, yeah. um, so I finished up a, a strange season in year seven, Sean McDermott got me an opportunity down in, uh, Carolina. Ron Rivera was the first year head coach. They drafted Cam Newton and, I got a call. The NFL lockout broke at like midnight on, I forget even what date it was, but right before training camp. And I got a call the next morning that Panthers wanted to bring me into training camp. And I had just, me and my wife had just had triplets July 21st of 2000. Well, I wasn't busy. I was like, hey, I got to go. Time to go to work. And there's a lot of work going on around here. So I I, I didn't want to change any more diapers. So I'm like, I'm going to training camp. Um, but it was just, you know, I don't know if it wasn't a good fit or I had too much distractions going on with my family back home, raising, you know, my wife kind of, my mom and dad are here. She had plenty of help, but just a lot going on. It really wasn't, um, you know, maybe the best fit for me in Carolina. Well, after week four, I got cut and got picked up. And I actually went up to New England for a workout. I, New England has a big connection with Kirk Ferentz and the University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Coach Ferentz has a Belichick connection and, I actually thought they were going to draft me coming out of Iowa so that when I got cut by Carolina, they brought me up for a workout. Um, they wanted me to stay in New England until Friday. They're going to supposedly sign me for the game. Well, while I was sitting there waiting, um, Arizona Cardinals called me and offered me a job on the spot without having to try out or work out or anything like that. So I just had to tell New England, you know, I got to go take a job where I can get it. Finished out the year down in uh, Arizona. I actually lived with Kevin Cobb and his wife. Uh, really? The legend. The legend, Kevin Cobb. The legend, Kevin Cobb. Yeah, my old buddy from the Eagles. Yep. He yeah. was 
he was down in Arizona at that time and I shacked up in their basement and we had a good old time for about three or four months. And, uh, that March I came back home. We started building a house in my hometown and I just pretty much thought my career was going to be done. And John Harbaugh called me. He was sitting at Disney world by a, by a swimming pool, him and his wife and daughter. And he told me that the Ravens were going to win a Super Bowl the following year. And he wanted me to be a part of it because their special teams were not very good. And so they brought in some great players, Corey Graham, Brendan I and Ben Dejo, myself, a few guys that are really uh, Jacoby Jones. Yeah. It was just an incredible, like they, you know, brought in four or five guys that were just kind of like career special teams guys at that point. Although Corey Graham ended up playing a big role in our defense yeah. and had a good career after that. And yeah. um, just typical John Harbaugh, you know, just such a visionary, such a leader, but I always tell people it's just crazy. I mean, he literally on that phone call said, we're going to win the Super Bowl and I want you to be a part of it. And that's exactly is that, what it is. Not, not for the other teams that have called you, like you said, New England and Arizona and you're spending Jacksonville. When they called you up, have any of them ever said that? No, John's a, John's just a different type of guy. I mean, but, you know, we had a, a great relationship. I always tell everybody, John Harbaugh reminds me of my father. John Harbaugh rode my ass. I mean, he really did. I mean, he, he had high expectations for me as a young player at Philadelphia. I mean, almost, you know, John can get pretty personal and it was good. It was good for me though. I'd grown up in that environment. My dad it was not a guy that was all the time friendly. You know, he had high expectations for me. He, you know, he, he wanted to push me. He wanted me to, you know, do the right things. And often as a young, you know, young fella, you don't always want to do the yeah. stuff and you don't want to work hard and you want to do this or that. But, yeah. you know, so I was very appreciative, appreciative of the leadership that John um, had with me and then the ultimate relationship and respect that we uh, earned for each other over time. And so the conversations I had with Coach Harbaugh, I mean, heck, I sat up in first class with him up that whole season on our flights and it was a it was probably more like a coach and coach relationship yeah. than player coach, but it, it was just a great experience. That's awesome. What was that mindset going into that season where like Harbaugh already has as the long-term goal? What, what, how did they kind of like get the team to buy in so that like the goal didn't falter the whole year? Uh you know, there there I had heard a lot about the Ravens culture, but until you you know you're there. I'd been on a few other just winning cultures and that's what Baltimore has. I mean, they, they expect to win. The players expect to be tough. They, you know, they're going to play great defense. They're going to know what they're do, doing. They're going to put in the time. I mean, they, those are football junkies there. They don't, they, you know, when you had Ray guys like Ray Lewis, you know, they reminded me a lot of the Brian Dawkins yeah. types. I mean, they did not accept people, that we're going to be, you know, looking to party and do all this type of stuff. I mean, it was all football. Those guys put in tons of time. I mean, they were football junkies. And if you weren't that, then you didn't fit into the Ravens locker room. And so um, John was the perfect fit. And, uh, you know, I think he had to tread lightly and find his way to be the leader that John wants to be. Yeah. For guys like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and, and the, the, such a strong locker room. I, you know, I give John a lot of credit, yeah. for, you know, this is much before I got there for him to be able to go into there and be the type of leader he is to those guys, because those guys were so ingrained and entrenched in the leadership and who the Ravens were. Um, I, you know, I give John a lot of credit for him to go, to be able to go there, to take that over and then ultimately take them to, you know, the top and win a Super yeah. Bowl. 
and it's still doing it today. He's just, yeah. he's he's a tremendous leader. Yeah. So I have a question. So so fast forward to the game against Denver. Did you feel that you what, when did you feel when did you feel at that point that you were out of it? And then can you can you re- recap um, the Mile High Miracle from what you were seeing? Um, you know that that team that year we, you know I don't even remember it. Early in the year, we got destroyed down at Houston. I think right before our bye week. I mean, we got beat by like thirty points. And um, the one thing I remember, uh, Ray Lewis was, you know, that, he knew he was retiring after that year. Um, he was just really big the whole year to keeping us focused on getting hot and playing good football when it was going to be important. And he, you know, he believed that we had to get on a roll. And so did John. You know, Coach Harbaugh was talking about the same thing that you know, we were going to have our ups and downs and, you know, we got destroyed in Houston, but we are going to win a Super Bowl by playing our best ball, you know, week 14, 15, 16. And it's got to be a, a, a steady escalation from there. And so we always had our, you know, our, our goals set on that. And that's what we talked about. And that's exactly what happened. You know, they, those guys did a great job of, you know, getting in uh, Joe Flacco's head, you know, Hey Joe, you're great. You know, all we need you to do is be the best Joe Flacco you can be, yeah. you know, week 17, week 18, week 19, you know, when, when we need it. And that's when it's got to happen. And that's, that's what we did. And so, you know, I think we just had a, a mindset that we just were going to give it our all. And, yeah. and it didn't, you know, we had ups and downs even through the playoffs, but when the offense needed to pick up, you know, Jacoby Jones would return a punt return for a touchdown, you know, when the defense was, was, playing that bad and you know Ray Lewis was getting torched by some tight ends at that point yeah. in his career you know Joe Flacco throws three touchdowns and, and that's how you win a Super Bowl yeah. I mean it comes through all phases and you know the leadership that we got you had on that team that year knew that and that's what we focused on and it was a lot of fun being part of it and then, and then fast forward to the Super Bowl in New Orleans right it was in New Orleans yeah right? yep. um was there any jitters for you like you're a veteran in the league but this is the biggest game you've been in what, what did, did, did it kind of hit when did it hit you like all right this this is real uh you know i i've always kind of taken the mindset i mean i get i i got i got nervous before every football game i ever played it, you know ever since junior tackle all the way to the super bowl but you know i that game didn't feel any different to me because i i always focused on you know the preparation. If I had a great week of preparation, if I did what I I know I needed to do to get ready for a football game, I knew I could live with any of the any outcome that was going to happen in that game. You know, as long as I gave my best effort in the game. You know, that was the one thing that was. Yeah. You know, you, you get to the NFL and sometimes you find out even your best effort yeah. sometimes isn't as good as some great plays by some incredible athletes. And you know, that was a tough thing to deal with, but. Um, that Super Bowl week was just a great experience. You know, I really tried to focus in on exactly what I had known my whole career, what I knew worked, what I knew got me ready to play football games. And, you know, I, I felt like I was nervous, but I felt like just a sense of uh, ease and excitement for that game because, hey, this was like my whole 22 years of football. I had prepared for this game. Yep. And I'm going to, you know, get ready the best I know. I'm going to go out and block, tackle, and do all the things that I prepared 22 years for. And I hope we win. And lo and behold, we did. And yeah. great experience. I mean, you wouldn't believe the people. You know, I got to yeah. take my college coach to the game, my high school coach, my parents. The, you know, we had bus loads of people that came down from Byron, drove down in RVs. And 
uh, my brother and his college buddies, they, they got in more trouble. And I think they're still in jail down there. I'm not mailing them out, but I mean, it was just a, it was a lot of fun and this lot of great stories came out of that week. Uh, but I was, I was down there working. I had to let everybody, they, they know that. I mean, my family and friends had followed my career for a long time and I wasn't going out to dinner. I wasn't having a beer. I wasn't doing any of that type of stuff till the game was over. And fortunately for us, we won and we went and had plenty of fun after that game. Who, who cut the power? Roger Goodell. What are you talking about? <laughs> what yeah, was your reaction when that happened? I don't, I don't think that, yeah, uh, they say Roger Goodell knew we had all the old guys and Ray Lewis would stiffen up and Ed Reed would stiffen up. And I don't think they were too worried about me, but I stiffened up. You know, we spent 35 minutes trying to stretch and stay warmed up. And I tell you what, I, I went up to Coach Harbaugh one time while that was going on. I go, what are they telling you? And he told me that they they told him that they, they didn't know if they were going to get these lights back up. And I said, well, what are we going to do? And he's just like, I don't know. We ain't playing if you can't turn the lights on. It was just crazy. You guys were ahead at the time. Were they just like, just call it? Call a game? I doubt yeah. it. I, yeah. I, hey, I think hey. I think all, all those guys that had money on the game. I yeah, don't think- probably would have been too. The over's definitely not hitting. Um, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And then so fast forward, you win the game, Super Bowl. What's the parade like? I'm sure, I'm sure all your family traveled from New Orleans to Baltimore the parade. Uh, no, they did oh, not. Really? I can't remember if the parade was. I think it was really. I, cool. I remember. I was because I'm from Baltimore, so I I remember I had a test that day and I couldn't go, and half my class went. I remember the parade. It was during yeah, the week. Oh, the, I think it was on the Thursday parade, or Friday. Yeah, the parade was incredible. Um, you know, trying to get everybody down to New Orleans for the Super Bowl that was a, a logistical nightmare, and so a lot of people had traveled and you know, had to go to this airport to fly in to here, and then you had to fly. So a lot of my family and, and my wife, she went back home with all the kids. Actually, my son, who's now 13 years old, was like five. And Ed Reed's son was five and, and basically tackled him right before the game out in the, on, the, on the Saturday walkthrough where the family were and broke his foot. Ed and Reed or Ed Reed's son? Ed Reed's son. broke I'm my son him for a couple of years. I'm scouting him now. I'm, yeah, ready. he's probably a good football player, but um, this is an accident. It's no big deal. His foot? It, well, he broke his foot, and so my wife's calling me Saturday night before the Super Bowl saying, I think he's really hurt, and what should I do? And I'm like, tell him to suck it up. I've, I don't want to hear about – well, we, he did. We didn't take him to the doctor down in New Orleans or nothing, but about – we got finally got him home, and three or four days after the Super Bowl, his foot was still killing him. It was huge. Took him in there, and he had four broken, bro, broken bones. So Unbelievable. We, yeah, it was just kind of crazy. But, yeah, it's just a lot, lot going on, and I'm just like, hey, I got to play a football game tomorrow, honey. Uh, can you talk to somebody else about this? I don't know what to do. Maybe either. he turned out the lights because his foot was killing him. He said, I want to go home. Maybe he Probably. caught the power. He wasn't at the game. He oh, was, okay. We didn't, I didn't bring any of the kids into the game. You know, you get 16 tickets. Uh, okay. At that point, we had four kids. So we had one more that came later, but. You know, I, I I wanted to share that moment with some adults that you know would oh, remember. Nice. No, so none none of my kids were at the game. We had a nanny that was watching them back at the hotel, and oh, cool. of course, one of them had a broken foot. <laughs> That's wild. And then, so did Harbor try to convince you to come back for another year? Yeah, I was. You know, they Baltimore wanted to bring me back, but Ed Ed uh, was retiring. I had. I had for a couple of years started having some like hip pains and that last season in Baltimore, I went and saw a specialist and basically I had had almost like 
degenerative hip disease, you know, from years and years of grinding on the hips. Yeah. And I, I was more than likely going to have to go get my, instead of doing a full blown surgery to fix yeah. it, I was going to go, go get my hip, what they call a hip shaved, where they kind of okay. shave off some of the bone spurs or whatever fragments that are in there. Yeah. Well, it was like a six month recovery time. And so, you know, once kind of had the conversation with John, yeah, absolutely. We got, you know, one year contract waiting for you, but with Ed retiring, they knew that they were going to go into the draft and probably, you know, bring in a, a rookie or two at the safety position and a free agent, you know, at that point you're a nine year vet and, you know, you just, the year before when John called, you know, it was like, Hey, I want you to come down to Baltimore on a, you know, it's a one year contract. It is what it is at that point yeah. in your career, but you're my guy and you're going to be on the roster. Uh, but you're nine, you, you know, that, that's part of, you know, the respect I have for John. He, he wasn't able to give me a pretty much that same guarantee. And he's, you know, said, you know, absolutely love to sign you and bring you here, but there's a very good chance that, you know, we have to make a late roster cut and you're probably one, one of the last ones on the roster. And then you're going to be jumping around from team to team like you did in year seven. And yeah. my wife was going to be giving birth to our last son in September. And so we would have moved to Baltimore and yeah. rented the house and she would have gave birth and we got the kids in school. And then I would have been possibly who knows doing what. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be like Ray Lewis and I'm going to throw the deuces up and I'm, I'm out of here. See you. Thanks. Yeah. That's awesome. So I just have one last question for you. So I saw it from a, an article from a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if you're still doing it now. After you retired, you, you got into like a, like a, the meat industry. Can you talk about that a little bit? I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. I started a mobile meat market. I mean, when I was out in Philly and Baltimore and those big cities, I saw a lot of the, the food vendors, you know, going mobile. Um, I, out here in the Midwest, we have a lot of meat lockers, you know, custom butchers and stuff like that. A lot of them have gone out of business. And so just kind of, you know, I was a business major at, at Iowa and I kind of always had like an entrepreneurial spirit. So it was my opportunity. As soon as the Super Bowl was over, I, I bought this trailer for like a hundred grand and decked it out with all these meat uh, display cases. And, and we found like a five different stops to go and we'd open up and it, it did really well. It was just, it was a lot of work. It was like running a restaurant. Um, <laughs> I learned a lot, you know, I had to learn how to use QuickBooks for my accounting. I did payroll and uh, we sold a ton of meat and I met a lot of people back in the area where I grew up and, you know, a lot of people got to come and say hello because of, you know, my football career and all that type of stuff. And um, a lot of fun. I don't do it anymore. I sold the meat wagon to some meat locker up in Wisconsin. They're using it. I, my picture's still on it. I heard. Really? But, yeah, it's, I had a picture. Is it, so, is it similar to like in Seinfeld when George was running around in John Voight's car? Hey, this is Sean Constantine's meat meat uh, meat mobile. Maybe I don't know. I don't think I don't think that's going to get you very far these days.
This is Robert Ory. You might know me as Big Shot Bob, and I want you to check out my new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. We'll always be talking hoops, football, sports, and I'm going to bring you some big guests like Lakers legend Shaquille O'Neal in our premiere episode. I know I didn't come in to train the cat the best of shape, but... Well, well you I'm, did one time. Yeah, well, 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 well. <laughs> Subscribe now to The Big Shot Bob Pod on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.